Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Welcome to this episode of Rooted and Unwavering. We're broadcasting live from Phoenix Business Radio X. This is where we help people and leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Farber, and I'm here today with Dr. Valerie Bimo. I'm so happy you're here today, Valerie. How are you today? Thank you, Hilka. I'm honored to be called to this uh, podcast. I'm doing fantastic and I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. Well, I'm really happy that you're here. I just checked my files. It's how I know how long I know people. And it seems like we know each other since 2013. So that's 10 years. So it's almost like a celebration today in another way. I'm going to say a little bit more about Valerie. Uh, and before I do this, I'm also going to say a little bit more about this podcast series, Ruiden and Wavering. So Ruiden and Wavering is a series where we every two weeks speak with a leader that we admire for their sense of being rooted and connected to what's truly important to them, what their, their, their deep core priorities. And we do this conversation so that we can help each other and learn from these leaders about how we can do this in our own lives, in our own leadership. How do we stay rooted and connected? and learn all these from all these different stories about what that's like and how we can show up our best. So Valerie comes to us and I admire Valerie for many, many reasons. And if you just look at her resume, you know, that just causes uh, a pause. Like, wow, there's, there's so much here. Uh, so I'm gonna share a little bit about Valerie and then also share a little bit about my personal experience with Valerie. And then we'll have the conversation about being rooted and wavering as you're listening. I invite you to just to think, keep listening for what am I hearing here that helps me to be more rooted and unwavering, whatever happens in life. So Valerie is a distinguished leader, motivational speaker, coach, and mentor, and an internationally recognized expert in global health and humanitarian response. She was born in Cameroon and educated in Ivory Coast, France, and Spain. She has a strong reputation uh, as a cross-cultural connector and thought leader. Her ideas are based in multicultural lived experiences. She's multilingual and she brings throughout it all a deep sense of being, present spirituality. She has 20 years of experience in international development. She's worked with communities, uh, organizations, governments, local, global, and she works on strengthening systems and empowering leaders to create lasting social change. Now, she's been doing this work for a while now at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and you work there primarily with the poor and vulnerable communities across the globe, especially those impacted by natural disasters, disease outbreaks, and conflicts. And you know, she's worked in all the places that we hear about on the news, and some of them we don't hear about on the news, like the Haiti earthquake, uh, Ebola outbreak, the Cyclone Idai in Mozambique, uh, thinking about helping 
uh, refugees in Bangladesh and uh, also in Jordan, the Syrian refugees there, and then also recently or the last few years, co-leading the foundation's response to the um, COVID pandemic in Africa. Now, throughout it all, she's committed in, in, uh, for passion, for the passion for solutions, and she's very focused on shifting mindsets and thinking about how you remove institutional and systemic barriers to empower individuals and groups to create locally grown solutions. She's also a coach, team facilitator. She brings presence and those, those little things or those big things that help you sort of sit back in your seat for a moment and plunge into your heart and bring more of what you truly want to be to the fore. As I said, I know Valerie for about 10 years. I'm struck by her originality. It's very creative, very caring, very strong. There's always a sense of this deep strength, which I sense like an ancient strength that comes through her. And I'm so looking forward to a conversation with her. She has a medical degree from the University of Côte d'Ivoire and an epidemiology diploma from the University of Paris and a master's of public health from the Madrid Autonoma University. And she's also a certified trainer and coach. Uh, amongst many other things, I also know you are a certified yoga instructor, uh, amongst many things. So Valerie, so much to lean on. We're talking about connectedness in this podcast. Can you say a bit more about get us started on what have you been learning about connectedness in your life and leadership? Thank you, Ilka. Who was the person you were talking about in that is it's amazing. For me, connection is, is everything. It's the essence of a human being. Um, starting by who we are, we are the web, and all the different classes show us again that connectiveness comes from the simple things that we, we look a lot in the in the African it, African philosophy we talk about Ubuntu. That is about how I am because you are, you are because we are. And I think for me, this is the summary of for me the connectiveness, it how we connect with ourselves, because without connecting with ourselves and be aligned with ourselves, we cannot connect with others. And as we connect with others, we cannot connect with others without really acknowledging the environmental in where we we are living, connecting to everything around us, to even the time. But how do we connect with time? How do we connect with the elements, the different elements, the nature, but with each other? But more important, you can only do that if you can connect with yourself, you get authentic and you check on yourself first. You cannot only connect and be if you find yourself yourself and if you're authentic. I think for me, that is really the, the whole of connectiveness. I love that. That talked about Ubuntu. Uh, I am because we are. And then also making the direct connection to connecting to myself and then my true self and then the connection to eternity over time and all that's, that we're part of. So, so say a bit more, Valerie. Because that sounds so good, and I think many of us can relate to this. How do you connect to that, and how have you learned to connect to that 
in your life and leadership? Because you know, you've had a few decades of experience doing this life. And so I'm curious about how you've been learning about that. It's a journey and I'm still learning and I'm still growing um, every day as we, we learn. Just if you look at the, how, when you are really tired or you just, everybody, I don't know about you, but for me, going to the beach and start walking on the sand, suddenly you feel your, your shoulder relaxing, everything. It's almost like magic, but actually it's normal. It's the elements. Each time you see a beauty, a wonder, you, that owl makes you feel like, oh, wow, there's something bigger than I am. And as, as you start listening to that, you get more in tune with yourself. And also, um, thank you for a lot of guidance from people like from you as a, as a coach to start, to start being honest and looking at where I am. What are my fears? What's, what are, what, who I am? And it's usually have to have the courage to go back in who you are, looking at the artist as a book, curious, and then start thinking, wow, I did all that, but a lot of things I could have done different, but you acknowledge it and you're grateful for where you are and all the things that, all the people, things, location, that you go around. And more important, I feel like the more I grow, work, and go around different culture and different space, one thing I learned is that all human beings, we are all, one of the things that we secretly all want is to belong, is to be loved. This is Actually, even when we don't recognize it, it's part of it. And I've seen that, however, you talk about languages, ethnicity, places that have been around the world. And I visited so many countries, almost 100 or 60 something of the countries. And still, that is the truth. And that is the one thing that you see across the world. Even when I went to places where people have lost everything, refugees where they lose people, they lost all the valuable, they are moved out, living in the tent, in the basic infrastructure with basic needs, even not met. The one thing that unites people is to feel the sense of like, they seen, they are recognized, they are loved, and they belong. And that is the essence. And we as human beings, we need to feel like we are nature. We are belonging to the earth and we are part of it. Unless we are aligned and in harmony, I don't think we'll be able to be feeling that connection. I'm very struck by your description of people that have lost, quote unquote, everything, at least everything material. And in the midst of that, you're not talking from book knowledge. You're talking from actually having walked there and walking there. And I know how many times you in those places and whenever i talk to you you're always coming back from somewhere or you're going somewhere and somewhere is usually across the ocean somewhere in africa or asia so when you think about those people that have lost everything what do you learn from them you know the first things that it's always taught me is that people look at me and say wow you're so good you're giving so much but actually what they 
they don't understand is that actually they are the ones who gave me so much. I'm maybe help them and facilitate. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm working with a great organization who the generous organization and I bring resources. Nevertheless, actually, but my soul, they feel my soul. And one of the things that the first thing you realize how grateful you have to be for every day. And life can switch in a in a dice like that from everything to nothing, then acknowledging what you have is the first thing. And be happy with basic. And you start really complaining about not having a hot coffee or hot shower, or the water is not as good, or it's not smelling as well as you want to. And you start really appreciating the ability to have a shower. That's the first. But the more important is, you go to some of these spaces. One thing that struck me is they are usually more giving than we are. You go to somebody's tent, they are so happy. They'll give you the few things they have. Because what, what is important is that sense of love and sharing. And I always amazed with the generosity, with not much, but also, one of the things that is, you know, a lot of the time you go and with your eyes of material eyes, you come and you feel like a little bit like sad, pity. And then the next time you you you, you look at the person, the next minute, you realize that they don't need your tears. They need your smile. And you start looking at them as human beings. You start looking at them like not with the cover but who they are as a human being at the center with their heart, with their hope, with the belief, and then it's changed everything. And you realize that you are speaking with the human being with the heart, and that makes a difference. And when they sense that, you start having a conversation, you start connecting, and you start being two human beings, and the material disappears. That is the beauty of Sometimes you you almost like, wow, they don't even have to bother so much about so many things. They are at peace in a way. It's a bad way to say that, but they are they are centered, rooted, and you appreciate now that you are who you are, not because you have everything with what you have as material, but what you center on and how your heart is is what makes who you are getting out of the static of our material existence where our mind make judgments about I need this and I need that and, da, 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 and unless that it's not going to work for me and what you're saying is that these people and of course they're making generalizations which is not fair but some of the experiences you've had humans being able to live from a different place that we probably all long for in a way that sense of being loved belonging and and love that comes from inside of us. I really like how you're how you're talking about that. And at the same time, these people, you're working in emergency relief. They've just lost everything because of an earthquake or an, an outbreak or some or something. So how do you help them then? Because in a way they already have it. How do you help them? It's contradicting what I was saying earlier. Like they have everything, but they don't have everything. 
they still need a lot of materials, but they have their hearts. And as long as they are breathing, and that is what we have to recognize, as long as you are breathing, you are present, they still hope. And the different in different groups that I saw, people who still have hope, can see the future, can believe that there's something coming out of it, will have a better chance to actually attract that something. And the way we help them is different way, from the basic needs, water, food, shell, making sure that they receive the kids going to school or having a space where they can still be kids, because sometimes we forget about that, kids have to be kids. And then that is the basic. But more and more, there's a lot of discussion about, at the beginning when I started this work, a lot of the work, and we, that is where our generous mind thinks like, oh my goodness, they have lost everything, we have to give them something. We have to then be like, oh, they should have clothes, they should have this. And we tend to come with stuff and decide what they need and what they should have, what type of food is good for them, what type of water or clothes of the kids and education. And you have to remind yourself that before the crisis, they were living their life. And as parents, they, they were taking care of their family and they love their kids like every parent in the world and they want the best for their kids. And there's a lot of changing now in the way humanitarian is like, instead of coming and distributing things to them, that is expensive, it's different, and you you can only distribute a number of stuff. But people are individual. People have different needs, different values, different things. Then there's more and more discussion about how do you give in, instead of coming and giving stuff, giving them cash, unrestricted, and let them make decisions of what makes sense for them. How they can actually work in the way that because a family may have a, a kid who diabetes or a kid who needs some or an elder, it will not be the same thing they will need as food. Or you may like maize or corn, and I may like cassava. Then how do you give the choice? Because one thing is about dignity. Everybody wants to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm making some choices of what's good for my family by give them access to resources without making decisions and let them make decisions on their day-to-day -day life. It's just that changed everything. Even a sense of dignity is like, I'm still alive, I can still make decisions, even if the phone comes from somebody else. Then I think there's a lot of evolution now to recognize the need for people to keep their dignity and to stand strong and, and high. Yes, this dignity, dignity such a powerful word I, even as you were saying it i started to sit up more upright in my in my own chair maybe as we're listening to you that may also be happening for for all of us that are listening at the moment i'm struck by you talking about dignity and also your own background growing up in africa and then moving to the us and now working for a western based organization gates foundation so can you tell a bit more about, like, what have you been learning about dignity and connecting with dignity? First of all, growing up in Africa and then coming into the Western world. 
here how long we have um i can sp i can spend the whole day talking about that but i'll try to get some sympathy growing up in africa there's something that my grandmother my mom my father always said is that it's not about how much you have is you have to be happy with what you have and you have to cherish what you have and not looking at what you are not you don't have and focus on what you have i think that is the first things to that growing up is was a reality and i didn't grow up in a poor family i have to apologize i was a middle high income family educated parents but that come from family that were long rural family mixed um and big families then coming to that mix of rural urban educated non-education it reminds you that it's not so much about always education and i just cherish my grandmother and by the name her name is bemo I, I carry that name she was not educated but she was the smartest woman i could see and she knew how to manage people deal with the big family be in in that space without education then I think a lot of time we made the mistake of kind of putting education as the smart because you have these diplomas, because you have this education. And I think that's the first thing you learn. The smartest, more agile, more connected people are not necessarily the PhD. I'm sorry for those whose PhD it was not a, I may be a doctor, but it's not that who make who you are. That's the first thing you learn in Africa. And that sense of community, sense of you cannot be happy or be centered if everybody around you is not. Then you share whatever you have, you'll be taking care of each other. You Then you live in a sense of community. It's a big thing that growing up in Africa, you learn early age. And then you come to the Western where it's become like an individual. Initially, it's shocking. It's like, okay, what did I miss here? Sometimes you think, is it me? And you have to learn that because of society have been so focused on the I and the individual, people feel that that is what it is. It's my nuclear family, it's me and my small family. But we saw in crisis like COVID that we recognize that we all need community. Even if the society makes us be an individual one, we all need community. And COVID, the US shows us that we stop being a community and then it hit us really hard. Do we know our neighbor? Do we say hello? Do we actually talk to our colleague more? I do, and I learned it from you actually, Ilka, to do a check-in when I'm in meeting, to ask people, how are you doing today? before even going to the topic and it changed everything and that's why you realize no matter how rich educated we're all coming back to again the basics we need to belong we need to be loved we need to be seen. no matter where we are and where we born is actually a reality of the human being and that's why we call human being not human doing or being reaching and I think that for me is still the basic and 
I wish the Western world, the richer world, will come back to this reality that community are essential and we still need to stay, find way to connect to each other. It's, a, it's, it's almost like a survival in a way for the human race. I'm struck by the paradox. I struck by the paradox of starting with your sharing with community is so important. Like we are part of something. And if my community is not in harmony, there's something for me to give. And at the same time, I remember you in the beginning of our podcast talking about connectedness starts with me. So say a bit more and maybe talk about what you learned from your grandmother, Bimo, about embracing that paradox of being myself and maybe not getting lost in the need to belong and to be loved. I love the, the prayer of St. Francis. Like it's in, it's in giving that we receive and it is in like pardoning that we're pardoned. It's a sense of like, so, so say a bit more about this paradox of being in community and being yourself. Because I can imagine from the Western perspective, it's like, yeah, no, I don't want that African quote-unquote community because I like to be me. Right? At the same time, from a Western perspective, there's probably this, well, at least for me, it's like, oh, that, that expanded network of community that seems so rich. So say a bit more about that. Indeed, it looks like a paradox, but one doesn't exclude others. For me, being a community requires you to be authentic, requires you to remove the mask, because only when you are you, you can actually give what you have, because it's about sharing. It's about being you. It's about what you bring to the, to the center. And if you are you, then you bring that with you. If you are not you, you cannot bring that. Then it's actually forced to find your space. And and I think one thing I remember is that I'm coming from big families. And, and I'm not the first one or the last one. And you know, you have to find a way to, to step up. The stepping up is not by copying. If you copy in the others, then you don't exist. Then you have to step up to find your space and to get your character. And I think it's the same image. If you want to be, because it's about like, what can you contribute? If you're exactly the same like everybody, then you can contribute. But if you bring your real value, then you have something to contribute to the society. And even the Western world, when we said we want to be me, 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 guess what? We are in the world where if you are only you in the world, we need everybody. You can go, we saw with COVID, you go to the supermarket, if people are not coming to work, guess what? If the farmer are not farming, guess what? We will not have the food or become too expensive. If the restaurant cannot recruit the servant, that usually we don't consider the cook, then they close. And I think for me, this is really the reality of the, the me, but me part of the bigger. And if the me part of bigger cannot identify in the real, without mass authentic, then you are cheating. And you can cheat for some time, you can have a mask, and sometimes we believe that that mask is who we are, but in the long run, it will hit us back. I love this whole theme of being embracing the community 
noticing that I am part of that and I'm nothing without it. Like I need the food and my community also needs something from me. Like that is true. And then at the same time, but what the community needs is my real me. What is my real me? I remember a, a master coach teaching me this question. What can your community not afford to lose? What gift of yours can your community not afford to lose? And when I think about what you've just been saying also about the refugees or people in, the, in, in those situations, that it's a lot about helping people to be restored to their dignity and to help to acknowledge their authenticity and their authentic choices. And that creates true harmony in, in community. So go ahead, Bari. Yeah, no, I just wanted to add one thing. When you're talking about the people, you know, the most amazing things I saw in some of these communities, you go and distribute food for, because some are maybe eligible or not, and then that woman taking maybe a, a, a bag of rice, bringing it back, and then she's probably poor, and then she starts distributing a cup to everybody else. And you're like, but this is you. She said, yeah. What is the point for me to eat in if the other people around doesn't eat? Because actually it will not work. Then she have a small thing, but the generosity with that small thing of sharing, even that small thing, they say each of us need to eat something, even if it's small, versus me eating a lot and nobody else eating. And I see it with the scarcity they can have, they still manage to share. It's a very humbling realization that the poor are often more generous than the rich is it not is it not a paradox this is the real paradox yeah. talking about paradox that's interesting that's well we're going to explore this more we're going to take a break in a moment we've been listening to dr valerie bema which is who works at the gates foundation uh, a lot in emergency relief and we're talking about how do we stay our true self and be in community and we've been talking about the generosity of people who are really connected to their community, like the example that Valerie just mentioned about this person that had some rice and then just started sharing it with everybody because he said, listen, if I don't, if the people around me are hungry, what point is there in me being full? So let's take a break now. And after the break, we'll explore this more, this paradox of how do I stay myself? And we'll explore a little bit more also about what are the masks that I may be tempted to put on to be part of community. See you after the break. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're doing a Rooted and Unwavering podcast. I felt almost weird about saying doing. I feel like we're more being a Rooted and Unwavering podcast, which is what you've been pointing us to, Valerie. Valerie Bimo is a deputy director at the Gates Foundation very much focused on emergency relief. And we've really been exploring this paradox, you could say, about being yourself and being in community and the generosity that comes 
when we're firmly and like found founded and connected to community because we cannot but be generous. So Valerie, let's focus on the mask bit a bit. So tell me a little bit about and tell us a little bit about the masks that you may have put on in your life, disconnecting from your true self, how you stepped out of those and what you learned stepping out of those. So maybe give us a few examples from your life, some masks. There's a lot of masks. The, the first thing is that, as I said, I'm coming from, we, we are six, my kids. And uh, for long, I was the quiet one, the fifth one, always in the low case. And then I have my siblings, my sisters, more vocal, more present, more thing. And then I was just couldn't speak as much. And then I have to be the pleaser of everybody. I need to be sometimes be the small and disappearing because I didn't want to, to show myself. And then the second one is to trying to please and make everybody feel happy and pleasing and put that mask of like, I love everybody, everybody loves me and all that. And then happily I realized that um, I was giving, giving, giving. But that giving was not actually an innocent giving, even if you be yeah, generous, but it was not it, is, it was giving for something in return. It was not like it was it was giving. I'm generous and I'm still. But there's always a behind that must create an expectation. Because I give, because I did, then they will love me more. Because I I please them. They should be loved me more than I'll belong, and then I'll be thing. And the more you do it, the less they look at you, the less you belong, and then you get frustration. I remember for long I was always the one like calling because I've been living a bit. Our family is a little bit everywhere in the world, calling everybody, expecting them to to call me back, and then complain they don't call me back. Oh, it's always me. I say, I love you. Nobody replied. If I don't call, nobody called me. And that, this was frustrating. And then I started realizing, huh, it's okay. Why do you need them to, if you want to call them, call them. But is it, was it a, an exchange of calling or is it because you just wanted to showcase? And I work on that a lot. So when you have a generous mind or you are a, a giving person. It's a little bit a contradiction from what I say. You are a giving person, then you give, 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 give. You're giving things that you should not give or you cannot give. And suddenly you realize that you were expecting love out of it. You were expecting them a thank you. You were expecting a, oh, I love you. And it's not coming and you are frustrated and you you feel like, oh, they are ungrateful with you. You give all these things. You're always the call. Nobody calls you. And the day you have something, nobody is there. And then you have to step back. It's like, what is going on? Why are you doing that? And then after a lot of work, you like realize that, you know what? Actually, I always give. With... There was a bad fear of expected to belong. But when you start being a bit more you to say, you know, I love them. If I want to call, I call because I want to hear them. I want to think. If I give, it's not. Be if they say thank you, it's a bonus. If they don't, 
it's okay because I feel my heart to give. And just get into that simple change of no expectation, love unconditionally, giving because you want to give, not because you expect some, even the thank you is an expectation. And just shifting that to get you light and at peace because it's like, and if the thank you comes like, oh wow, okay, they call me back, oh wow. But at least you, you feel like you really gave it unconditional love. Yes. So I hear you say this, this sense of I'm in the heart, I'm giving, and I've done the work to let go of the expectation, the expectation of what's going to happen next. Maybe you can say a bit more about what fear that expectation is born from. Like why even have an expectation? Where does that come from? Maybe you have to tell me. I don't know. But um, I think it's, it's that sense of fear of abandonment. Because as a human being, like I said, we want to belong. We want to be part of the herd. And our reptilian want to be feel connected. We feel like if we don't have that love, we'll be alone. We'll be abandoned. We'll be sad and think and then we start really grabbing to like i want to be part of this community i want to i don't want them to let me i, love, I want them to love me i want them to see me and actually you you act because it's a mass because it's not exactly the, the the from the heart you actually create the reverse what i how i relate to this is when i'm Connecting from the head, it's transactional. It's like yes. I give you this, and therefore I you give me this. So this tribal fantasy, basically, that's the unhealthy part of tribe. Like the unhealthy part of tribe is, I give you this, so you give me that, which means that I'm always compromising myself because I'm actually not daring to be myself. Right? Yes. That that would be too dangerous to do that because I might be abandoned. To be truly myself. I have to be willing for you to, quote unquote, abandon me or have a different preference or not call me back, right? So you saying, I'm going to make the call because that comes from the heart. And my inference is, as you do that, you experience the joy and the fulfillment that comes from actually following your heart. And that by itself is the reward. In the Bhagavad Gita, they say, you know, it's, it's not the fruit of the work the result of the work, that's the fruit. It's the work itself, that's the fruit. And when I first read that, I thought that was absolutely nonsense, right? Like, I want the bonus, the kudos, the thank you, the you're so wonderful. And what you're pointing to is, no, actually, the truth of doing the work, being the work, that unconditionality, that creates the sense of fulfillment because you're connected, you're in harmony. So say more about, how that works for you in the communities that you're part of, being connected to yourself unconditionally, unconditionally giving, and also not with all these expectations. What have you noticed in how your relationships may have evolved? Um, it's so funny because uh, even in the work environment, we, we are in a world where people, there's a lot of expectation and there's a lot of masks. And, and sometimes they even... I'll say coming in this space 
of uh, global development, global health, international development, and at the level where I, I feel being a woman, Black, African, is not always coming to your advantage. And you have, initially, you try to, to belong. You want to put the mask of speaking the same way, the language, and, and the more you do that, the less you are, actually. And the less you, because believe me or not, even if I try, I cannot change my quality. Even if I try, I cannot change the who I am. Then instead of trying to be them, it's actually embracing who I am. I'm a woman, I'm a Black, and I'm African. And I'm not even a first language English. But by the time I start really looking at that, it changed. And you know, in the day-to-day -day work, sometimes I, just by being, you don't realize how many people come later, other African, other Black, even the like to say, you know, inspire me. Like the way you stand, the way you are, it makes me feel like be more myself. I want to embrace it because I feel like sometimes ashamed or want to belong somewhere that I change the way I am, the way I dress, the way I I've been, and actually by doing that, it's okay to, to be you who you are, and you are still at that level. And I think I see that every day, and I want to be an inspiration. Because one thing that I also recognize is that, especially in Africa, we coming from a colonial system, we here in America, we coming from a slavery system, and in the way, even if we, the slavery is finished, we still have a lot of unherited mask and, and sense of inferiority in a way, even if we stand, stand up. And we tend to be putting the mask because the way we speak, and like your way you speak, your way you stand, your way you've been, trying so hard to merge the Western America system that you stop being who you are. And I learned to really embrace who I am and be proud of who I am. And the more I do that, I start being proud. And I realize that I have something to share. I have something to offer because I come with my authentic self, with my cultural differences. And Lately, the last two years, a lot of people have been talking about diversity, about the DEI, diversity, equality, inclusion, and all that thing. People focus the diversity on the color, I call it the Benetton color. is like how many black or how many women? But for me, it's not so much about the how many black or women. It's about do they have space to express who they are, as they are? Do you create that environment? And in a lot of places, it's not. Then they still be a numerical numbers, but the inclusion is still a big long way in most of the places, even when we're talking about diversity. Sorry, I went a little bit, I answer your question, but I open another topic. I, I love it. I, I love it. I'm also noticing as I'm listening to you a sense of compassion for those of us, including myself, who sometimes give in to being in transactional community with others. 
know, it's it's so much of what humanity in its current state of evolution has been promoting. I give you this and then you give me that. It's so deeply ingrained. And what you're speaking to is moving from transactional community, which is not real community. It's what's community like lower maturation phase, right? It's early maturation. And more mature community is authentic community where we can be ourselves. And I love what you said about being able to be and create space where people can truly be themselves, not some diversity and inclusion metric. Like I got so many black women or Asian, whatever, you know, LGBTQ, whatever. No, that also has a place. It has a place, but that is not the, what we're talking about, what you're talking about here. So, Valerie, say more about your being a leader. And when I read your resume that you sent to me, I saw the word spirituality in there. And to be honest, I was a little shocked because here I see a leader who's so much in the world, you know, who works with big with governments, local organizations, lots of funding and things like that. In the middle of that resume, I saw the word spirituality. So can you say more about talking about being authentic and being yourself? How do you connect to that? And how do you bring that deeper self sense to everything that you do? Because I see you doing that. Thank you for, for that question. I believe in God and I believe in something bigger than all of us. It's not about religion. It's not about which part of the religion. Yes, I'm Christian, I've been Christian, and I'm still following it. But I made an, a lot of effort to learn about other religion, to learn, have a lot of practice, the Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, all that basis. And one thing came to the same. It's like the first thing is love. The first thing is like, recognize it is something beyond you and bigger than you and the more i embrace also nature learn a little bit more you know i've been more and more connected to that love the wonder one thing that come clear is that i can't go go to some of this amazing nature and then you just see that it's like it has to be something bigger it have to be God's, that's the creation. And you see the connectedness with even trees, how everything, a forest, everything work together, seamless. Even if it seems like it's thick, it's inert and it's there, you realize that it is. And when I talk about spirituality, is you have to go with the space of, love of being of compassion but also empathy to know that everybody again human being want to belong to love and when you get to that space you start seeing everybody else around you with the same desire to connect to something the god and opening that space help you really be that authentic and see, I can be, like you said, in the refugee camp with somebody who have lost everything and see that woman sitting there 
smiling with her because of her heart of who she is, not what she lost. And the same thing, I'll sit with Bill Gates, with all the million he have, and he's the same human being with the heart beating, smile or no smile. And when you start being in that space, it's so beautiful because, and for me, you can only be that if you are addressed, if you embrace the spirituality of human being on the heart of everybody by nature, have the similar. As long as you breathe and your heart is beating, you are. And if you are, I am. And it's just a symbol of that. And we breathe the same air. We have to share our resources. We are interconnected. And the world becomes even a small, small space with the connectivity. And again, COVID shows that how small it is, even if it's a big world. Yeah, it's so and Just becoming quiet as I'm listening, Valerie. Just becoming quiet, struck by this phrase. It's the person in the refugee camp who's breathing and smiling or not smiling. Who is that? Who's part of that bigger hole? And Bill Gates as well. And everybody else as well. And that's all the same. We're all breathing in that and we can know that. And so when when we are connected to something bigger than our, what I would say, ego mind, separate sense of self. We start to see everything like the harmony of the trees, uh, where everything is connected with each other and we cannot but have care for it and be generous. And it's all sort of start to be this, this dance, you could say. And that's what I'm hearing and what you're saying. Question I love to ask towards the end of our conversations and Amazingly, we're already close to the end, Valerie. What would you say to somebody who's not feeling connected today to themselves, to people around them? Maybe, maybe not only today, but maybe for a while, maybe for months, for years, who does not sense that, and maybe because they're listening, otherwise they probably wouldn't be listening, have some kind of yearning for that. What would you say? It's a journey. We are all in that journey. It's the everyday reality. And you have to look at it as a, not the destination, but the path or the roads or the, the way, because you have to be committed on the day-to-day to find that. When I wake up, I do a prayer and I connect with myself and to God. And then I ask that I've been who I am. And I have challenge during the day. And it's up to me to like, hmm, what's, why is it happening? And to do a check-in. We'll be having some high and low. We'll have in some days where we feel like, ooh, who was that person? This, who is this speaking? And you have to look at it and love yourself. Have a little bit of compassion with yourself and not beat yourself, but love yourself and say, hmm, maybe I can do better tomorrow. And a bit different. But that simple journey of going inside yourself and checking with yourself, I'm talking about checking, checking with yourself, checking where you are, and trust God and just looking at God sometimes to help you. And with God will come other people around in your journey. You have some coach, you have some, some people, and it's not always the person you think it should be. It's not always your, your boss, 
yeah, director, the richest person or something, it can come with the unexpected space. Like I said, when I go to the refugees, actually they give me sometimes more than what I give to them. They resent me. They root me to the sense of life. Then look around you. There's always a message for you. In the supermarket, do you say hi to the person who is in front of you, who serves you? Give their name. Next time you do that, you see, you see a Margaret serving. She may be this. Just say, hi, Margaret, how are you doing today? As she said, and you see the difference. The smile, you may have made her day. And the same thing, it may come from anywhere and just be open to embrace it and to be, it may be difficult sometimes, but I guarantee you at the end, the more you send and the more you're happy, the sense of peace, of light that you have in the day-to-day, -day, it cannot replace anything else that material will bring to you. Thank you. Last question. So you work in emergency relief. So my sense is day, uh, every day on your screen or when you're actually with people, you see lots of things that could be construed as hard. How do you relate to that from the space you just described, if you do? One thing that you, you see, there's a lot of destruction, there's a lot of emergency every day, for sure, is to first feeling like I have a space where I can do something, I can help, I can do. That's the first thing. The second thing is that is to able to see beyond the number, to see a face, a people, and to contribute the best way you are. And that for me makes a difference. When I'm I have resources, of course, coming from the foundation and even personal, is that question, how can I be of a service with the resources? It looks a lot, but it's nothing compared to the needs. Then how do I best use the stewardship of these resources that is entrusted to me to do? What is the best approach? How can I support? And how can I support the people? Because there's a lot of intermediary. What is the best path to get to that people without having all the, from the tube going away? Because at the end, in a lot of our system, it's almost nothing getting there. Then. How do I the stewardship of the resources that have been entrusted and that I have the privilege of managing now? And when you get to that space, you're like, oh, I can do something. I can be there. I can space and tell you the truth. What I like about traveling, after a few months of just sitting on your computer, it become numbers. And then you go to the field and you see one person and you hear their story. And it makes so much sense. You're like, okay, it's not just 100,000 person or 50 people. It's that face. You can put a face, a heart, a person beating in that. And that satisfaction is just changing. Make you forget about the sadness and making you feel so grateful that you can actually be in part of the space to, to do something. Thank you, Valerie. Getting to the end of our conversation, I want to say a big, big, big thanks to you 
what I'm taking away also from this last bit of our conversation is to live from this generous heart and open to what's around us, not get lost in the mind of the numbers, I can't do anything, extending. And then the rewards, like meeting Margaret in the supermarket or the conversations with the people that you're meeting in the places where there's been real hardship. I'm just meeting them and really listening to them. I sense the presence you bring to them and then the transformative power, the miracle that happens in that. So we've been listening to Valerie Bimo today, Dr. Valerie Bimo. She, very, she works at the uh, Gates Foundation and Emergency Relief. Uh, a big takeaway I had today was about how important community is and how from Valerie's story, it's always whether it's in the supermarket or whether it's with somebody you serve or whether it's in our family or whatever it is. And that's important to stay authentic, to be connected to our light and to also realize that we are not what we think we are. We actually connected to something much bigger. And that is a journey for each of us to explore every day. So Valerie, anything else you want to say by way of closing? Thank you, Ilka, for the opportunity, but to everybody to remember, we all have something to offer. And we have to be open to receive as well when it comes to our work. Thank you. Thank you. We always have something to offer and also be open to receive it as well. That's a beautiful place to end our conversation today. You've been listening to Rudin and Wavering. We're going to have, and we continue to have um, community conversations on LinkedIn through Growth Leaders Network. You can check those out if you'd like to learn more. Also, um, you can subscribe to this podcast, for example, on Spotify and other places. And we will be here again with um, Gaurav Bhatnagar, who is the author of a book called Unfair. I love that title. Uh, on February 10th, he's also the founder of Co-Creation Partners, and he will speak with us again on February night. So that's it for today. You've been listening to Rooted and Unwavering, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Ilka Faber. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilka Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilka's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.